Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. As you know, on our show, we like to explore all kinds of connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and it's the first Saturday of the month, and so you know what that means. It's the Eastside Freedom Library time. And I have Peter Ratcliffe, who is my co-host today, joining us, who has brought a guest who is going to be also a part of the Eastside Freedom Library. Welcome, Peter. She is indeed. There we go. (laughs) You've just been here almost a week now. Yeah, I'm actually on day three. Oh, actually, I think at this point, uh, day f- oh day, day six. Yes, day six. We agreed. Week. We agreed on day we three. Agreed. Okay. So at Chitra Viravin. 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 I will yeah. make sure that next time I will make that a long eye. <laughs> You're the new operations manager. I am. I'm I excited am. to have you here, and I want to learn all about what. What brought you here and your interest and all that good stuff. But for folks who don't know about the Eastside Freedom Library, which I'm shocked if there are folks out there that don't know about the Eastside Freedom Library. If you listen to my show, you know that the first week of the first Saturday of the month, we dedicate it to the Eastside Freedom Library. But just in case you've just tuned in and you haven't, Peter, would you share the overview of how you talk about the Eastside Freedom Library? Well, we we say that our, our mission is to inspire solidarity uh, work for justice and advocate for equity for all. Um, in order to inspire solidarity, we know that we have to respect and appreciate and understand the specific cultures of the diverse communities that make up uh, the East Side and the greater Twin Cities. We provide resources, particularly books, um, materials through the Hmong Archives, which is co-located and a partner with us, Um, and we curate programs using art and culture um, as vehicles for people to tell their stories, share their stories, um, explore similarities, and build that solidarity uh, with each other. I love that it's both a place that you can come and learn about someone else's story, as well it's a place that if you're an artist or an academic or someone who cares about community can bring something and lead. Um, it's a great leadership followership uh, that is in constant motion at the Eastside Freedom Library in St. Paul. Right. On the east side of St. Saint- Um, In a historic Carnegie library, we hope every day that whatever is left in Andrew Carnegie's grave is rolling over uh, at what we're doing with the resources that he gathered from immigrant iron miners and steel workers and coal miners to make possible for us to do what we do. I do like that you always mention that it's the laborers that built the Carnegie fortune, so it is right and good that the laborers are able to celebrate it at your Eastside Freedom Library. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we've got a great set of things coming up in the Eastside Freedom Library for the month, and we're going to be sharing about those throughout the show, but particularly at the end. So stay with us throughout the whole show so you can hear all about the wonderful multicultural programs that will be offered at the Eastside Freedom Library. But in this segment, I want to start to get to know our friend Chitra. And Chitra, you have just joined, as you said, this is your first week. Yes. You yes. must have heard about the Eastside Freedom Library at some point. Oh, absolutely. So yes. tell me about how you first learned and your first experience with the Eastside Freedom Library. I first learned about the library through a very good friend of mine who is an artist activist herself. And um, she was working for the Eastside Freedom Library at the time. And so she brought me in for an event there. Um, what was the event? 
It was focusing on Ananya Dance Theater, which is a dance company that I'm the co-founding member of. So, so, so you not only went, you were participating. I was participating, <laughs> and, and I was very integral to that It was a nice to place event. to go and perform. <laughs> um, at the time, I had uh, just started my solo artist career, so uh, I came in, you know, knowing that part of history and also getting to know this this new space, the Isa Freedom Library, through her. So tell me about how it felt to perform there and the individuals that attend and what's the community like that, that are part of the Eastside Freedom Library? I didn't exactly perform there, um, but it was for a particular program that evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I really enjoy about the library is that it's been a, it's been a space for multiple um, communities and organizations to be there and talk about their stories and their work. And um, so my first experience with the library was through work that was being spoken about that was very integral to my artistic work. Um, so I didn't really get to know the library per se at that specific event, uh-huh. um, but through uh, through my friend and through um, getting to know sort of the literature, the la- the activists and the artists that had all been a part of that, the library, I came to know more and more about sort of the direction the the space was heading in. So, Peter, you must be proud. Five years <laughs> that you've been working on this library, and it keeps growing and expanding with both staff and resources and um, opportunities. Um, in reflecting and seeing this new member being mm-hmm. brought to the fold, um, tell me your your thoughts in in growing your organization. Well, I, you know, for people out there who are familiar with the peculiar language of nonprofit speak, mm-hmm. um, that we have been trying to build our organizational capacity, <laughs> which involves raising money in order to be able to afford to put on staff. And we've had an interesting and I think valuable path of relying heavily on volunteers whom we call collaborators. Uh, to help us build capacity. But in order to really build sturdy systems, we need people whose total focus um, is is on the library and the kind of work that we're doing. And so we need staff. So a year and a half ago, uh, we added our first full-time staff person, uh, Clarence White. Um, and we then have engaged in a fundraising process to come up with the resources to hire a second staff person, Chitra. And um, we had 65 applicants for the position. We interviewed nine people, and the search committee was unanimous. She has the difficult task of trying to impose some order on the kind of creative chaos uh-huh. um, that life often is at the Eastside Freedom Library. Which, Systems yeah. can be good. But, Systems can be good. But it, it's a challenge, to, mm-hmm. you know, especially with creative energy and right. being able to, to look at your, strate- your strategy and strategic plan to build to the future, I'm right. sure, as well. Right. And, you know, how to identify... You know, we we now have a a mailing list of about 6,000. How can we identify who on that mailing list is going to be interested in a particular project or kind Mm -hmm. of activity? And how can we become more effective 
in in reaching people and saying to them, hey, this is the stuff that mm-hmm. you want to come around for. And then helping us think, which I, I, I think is the hardest challenge, helping us think about how do we get people to step outside of their own comfort zones and familiarity and take a chance on coming to an event that may not be in yeah. their own sweet spot and that may involve risking um, challenging conversations cha- challenging conversations with people from other communities um, who might be bringing other baggage into the room and, and real issues that the community is facing absolutely um, you know one of the things that we have been working on now for four months is trying to bring together people in the various East African diasporas to talk about political and social change in the Horn of Africa. Mm. And what can people in the Eritrean, Oromo, Amhara, Somali, Sudanese communities with the resources and interests that they may have here in Minnesota, what roles can they play to bring about democracy and justice for their family members who are still back there or or where they may yet want to return to? What kind of roles can they play and how can they develop conversations with each other um, in order to pursue that. So we're, we're very excited that we were asked by activists in the local Eritrean community if we would host uh, the former Eritrean ambassador to the European Union, um, the European Union, which I believe still exists. <laughs> Uh, despite uh, the attempts of certain people. Uh, and, um, and certain countries. <laughs> yes, yes. But um, we're excited to um, to have this uh, very experienced Eritrean political activist um, in our midst and to bring Oromos, Amharas, Somalis, Sudanese uh, into conversation with him and again to talk about how all of their lives can be improved. Um, and, and, and then a week later... Um, On Saturday, a a week from now, we will be hosting the rhythmic literature folks who are largely Amharic language poets. Mm. Um, And and we will be hoping that people from other communities will come and present poetry in Tigrayan and 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 in that poetry, as I recall, Mm -hmm. it's in their native language. Absolutely. Which is fabulous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're actually quite adamant about the particular beauty uh-huh. of their language, of the sounds of their language and the ways how metaphorical their language is. And um, so, you know, these are ways that we're bringing Cultures poetry yeah. and political discussion across the boundaries of different communities together. When I, when I hear you talk about these events, I, I'm often reminded of the 60s notion of, you know, think globally and act locally. But with the advent of the internet, it takes it up a notch because it's not just developing nice local activities. It can make an impact globally. It it, it can make real difference. I know that you've done work all around the world in the Eastside Freedom Library. Right. These conversations with East Africans are being Facebook live streamed and upwards of 20,000 people around the world are watching these conversations. Well, more about those conversations and more discussion with Chitra and your background uh, coming up in our next segment. And you're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota on Connections Radio Show. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm your host, Lori Fitz, and it's the first Saturday of the month, so we have my co-host, Peter Ratcliffe, who is the co-executive director of the Eastside Freedom Library. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. And we also have Chitra Vairavin, who has joined the Eastside Freedom Library, and we're going to have a chance to get to know her in this segment. So, Chitra... Tell me about your background. You mentioned in our last segment that you have a solo dance company. I am a solo artist. Solo artist. So yeah. tell me more about yeah. that and tell me more about your background and, and all the good things that you're bringing to the Eastside Freedom Library. Yeah, um, I'm an artist and an administrator. I've been an artist since probably the age of two, uh. dancing, creating performance art, um, and then started my professional sort of arts path after co-founding, being one of the co-founding members of Ananya Dance Theater, which is a women artists of color collective that is based here in the Twin Cities. And from there, I had also been working with um, a lot of activists and community members at the same time. So I got this artist side of myself and this administrator half of myself going. Using and both sides of the brain. Absolutely. Yes. The, the logical <laughs> left and the creative right and, yes. and blending them together. Yes. And I needed both. Um, yeah. And so I'd worked for 10 years at the University of St. Thomas Interprofessional Center at the time for some law professors and juvenile justice advocates um, working with law students during their clinicals for the first time. So mm-hmm. I used to day job do this and then have my artist, you know, work going on at so the same time with the dance company. two different lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so now with this role at the Eastside Freedom Library, I'm realizing like, ah, both things are happening. And I'm weaving in, um, in and out of being an artist and organizer as well as being an ad- administrator who is, you know, figuring out systems and how to set things. Well, I so. think there's a great benefit to artists um, having an artist as the administrator. Because there's sensitivities that um, it, artists aren't always comfortable with um, limitations, even mm-hmm. though there's you know great creativity. I believe creativity works really well with boundaries and how to set those boundaries Absolutely. in a way that can be heard and understood and not act as a um, a stopping of the art, but an opportunity to do the best art within um, within a framework. So tell yeah. me about some of the frameworks that you think might be helpful that, that you'd love to bring and, and create. So um, in terms of my personal artistic work, I'm working on a movement series called Balance and Boundaries. Mm. Um, Perfect. And yeah, yeah, I know. That's why when you mentioned <laughs> yeah. it, I was Perfect. like, oh, I need to talk about this. Um, and a lot of my work is also centered on liberation, mm-hmm. um, particularly in Um, black, indigenous, and people of color communities. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested in making that offering towards specifically those communities, centering their narratives and what does liberation look like for them and um, offering them sort of uh, designing experiences where they can find that through movement, through performance, um, in various, not just dance, but also literary artists and visual artists and and organizers um, who are all looking for more embodied ways of, of moving through within their work. So it is very sort of cross-disciplinary. And we are focusing also on boundaries and balance. So, But it's an ironic thing because mm-hmm. it's, it's a liberating practice. Yes. But also within the bounds of a certain design. And uh, discipline. Certain, 
Absolutely. To, to create that boundary. Yeah. When, when you talk about all types of arts, another image comes to me of um, something someone's told, someone told me once that when a child learns to walk, actually they dance first. Mm-hmm. And when a child is given a crayon before they can write, they draw. And when they're first making sounds, they're not words, they're song. So how do we tap into that innate artistic uh, wealth that we have within us that we naturally move towards art that yeah. somehow gets um, faded or disciplined into a different area? And yeah. re-tapping into that is, I, I believe, tapping into each one of our artistic souls. Yeah. Um, that's reminding me of... Um you know, somebody asked me what my artistic practice was and or what the process was at this point. Mm-hmm. And now with this sort of centering liberation and healing work, um, I know that I'm I'm onto something when uh, that rational part of my brain is has shut off and like something <laughs> else takes over. Right. It uh-huh. becomes more of a sort of energetic and mm-hmm. spiritual practice. And then I know I'm onto something and that's you know, I'm keeping whatever is, is uh-huh. happening at the time, but I think that that taps into something that's beyond our sort of verbal, rational consciousness. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then the art gets lifted in a, in a, I guess, beyond human way. Yeah. So in interacting with artists uh, and activists and academics, um, my guess is you're going to have an opportunity to work with a wide variety of individuals mm-hmm. in helping them bring their ideas to life. Yes. Tell me about yes. your ideas and how to make that happen. Um, so I find a lot of energy in working with people working in multiple disciplines and with different ideas and practices, but towards some kind of change and liberation, towards some kind of – there's a thread there that mm-hmm. still exists. Just as you were talking about in your, your boundary yes. and balance – uh, in the that. movement series, yes, yes absolutely. Um, so I think that through working with those people, there are always connections that can be made and collaborations that can organically happen. But it's also not about a controlling of it. You mm-hmm. know, like Peter had mentioned earlier, you know, communities come and they're saying, we want to make this event in this space. And so there's a lot of power in people asking and already invested in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they believe that this space or this person or this experience is going to take, you know, is is the mode to go forward. And then you are just facilitating, designing, making it happen. Or helping them get to the next level. Yeah. Because they may be at one place, but understanding the opportunity might widen their scope or focus their interest. Yeah. And it's a shared power dynamic, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like... You know, I just came up with the idea or right. this space existed in it. It's coming from the people who are interested in, already interested in making that happen. So, yeah. So, Peter, how blessed you are to have such a, a wonderful, uh, energetic, artistic, and um, someone who's got a background in administration. A- absolutely, yeah. So when you were going through your interviews and you mm-hmm. said that it was unanimous um, mm-hmm. for our friend Chitra – um, was there a special moment that everyone sort of knew this is this is an idea that she gave or something that hit all of you that went yes this is this is the way forward I'm not sure that she used the word mm-hmm. 
but she definitely communicated that she didn't have any time for hypocrisy. Good for her. And, <laughs> and for you all. Uh, darn right. Yeah, you know, authenticity. And, yeah. And, and transparency. I totally mm-hmm. thought they weren't going to like me after I was uh, so Let me tell you, yeah. this is who I am. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you can't deal with it now, That's you probably right. don't want to yeah. hire me. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and, a no-nonsense. And, and then yeah. one of the people on the committee said, um, watch out. You may actually get what you're looking for. <laughs> And uh-huh. and I think that and that was after the interview with mm-hmm. Chitra, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm thrilled that mm-hmm. we're getting what we were looking for, mm-hmm. and um, you know and and I think we're a small enough organization mm-hmm. that she's going to have a hell of an impact, mm-hmm. and and that's what we want. Mm-hmm. That we don't have any perfect ideas, no. mm-hmm. and they're they're formed in struggle and in collaboration. But I think what's important when we look at multicultural, multicultural, and we're looking at inclusive leadership, um, there needs to be leadership that represents the view that of where you're going. And I think as you build your staff and you're building the multicultural staff, you're living your commitment, mm-hmm. and and that's important. So we'll be back after just a couple commercials and we'll hear more about what's going on at the Eastside Freedom Library and things to put on your calendar. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. And it's the first Saturday of the month, so we always celebrate the Eastside Freedom Library. And for more information on the Eastside Freedom Library, I encourage you to go to their website. It has not only a great background on the work that they do, but it also has a terrific calendar of all the upcoming events. And that's eastsidefreedomlibrary.org. And today I have my host, my co-host, Peter Reckliff, who is also the co-executive director of the Eastside Freedom Library. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Always great to be here. Always great to have you. And we have Chitra Vairavin. Yes. Who is the new operations manager and who also will be doing programming at the Eastside Freedom Library. So tell me about an upcoming program on December 23rd, Peter. <laughs> Well, I, um, I'll I mean, let you I think that, sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, you know, I think that this is a great sort of illustration of how much Chitra is bringing to our community and our work. That um, so she's talked about balance and boundaries. Talked about finding a thread uh, of liberation that runs through the work. Um, so there's a framework, um, and then she's outed herself as a solo performance artist and primarily dancer and and obviously of a South Asian ancestry and background. And so if you think you know her, you don't yet um, – because I think Chitra is still discovering who Chitra is. Well, I, mean, we, I don't know we who all discovering, yeah. but I'm on a journey. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I'm becoming yeah. always. Yes, <laughs> right, yes. right. Um, but Chitra is going to lead a writing workshop. Maybe there will be some movement. I don't know. But a writing workshop sponsored by MISNA, the Arab American organization, um, which has recently had this marvelous um, exhibit, you know, exhibit the exhibit too, yeah. at the M, the Minnesota Museum of Modern Art, um, and so they're working in multiple disciplines as as well. Yes. Um, but 
um, I'm very excited. One of the first things that Chitra did when she came on board was ask whether Sunday afternoon, December 22nd, was available and that she wanted to do a writing workshop co-sponsored by MISNA. Got and that so, operations calendar out right away. So, right away. Yeah. Right away. Although, you know, I'm a handwritten guy and, <laughs> and she's a Google calendar person. <laughs> Fabulous. We, we still have to work that out. Uh, but I And I thought, well, maybe you could say a little bit about yeah, how yeah. you're approaching this workshop. So it's not so workshop. much a co-sponsorship, but I, I'm a part of the writing group for ah. MISNA. So, and I have been for about a year because part of my practice is to – I'm a, I write poetry very much informs my movement practice. And I know many of the Misna poets and writers um, and have been building relationships with them for some time. So after a couple of sessions in their writing group, um, they asked me to co-lead, you know, the next, the next uh, writing group meeting. And, um, and they already know me as a performance artist as well. So we're going to be doing poetry and embodied movement. Mm, mm. Um, and I also was like, no pressure. You don't, not everybody has to dance or move or perform, but we're going to talk about performance as a part of poetry and, and um, sort of in the literary field as well. So, well, so it just happened to be a beautiful yeah. sort of experience that was happening at the same time because they were also looking for space for the meeting and I was going to start this new job and they were, you know, they were already interested in being involved in the Eastside Freedom Library. So it just, you know, it just made sense to be in the space. You were saying in the last segment that, you know, when you're, when the intuitive takes over and the logic goes behind. Yeah. For me, a process is working or something is taking over when it seems like the stars keep aligning. Absolutely. (laughs) It's effortless almost when things come together. I mean, so much of being in this role, I mean, the stars were aligning with me in multiple ways in Mm. all my artistic work and sort of belief, my social justice core. Everything was aligned, you know, in this opportunity. And so I had to move with it. And what I also love is that you are doing what you are going to encourage others to do, which is you're signing up for space. You are having a cultural experience. It is both a writing and a movement that that taps into both of your loves. Yes. Uh, And and you can speak from experience to others about what the process is like and how you can encourage others to take advantage of the opportunity of the space. And, And Having more cultures take part at the Eastside Freedom Library, I think, enriches it just to another level again. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things is I don't always look at representation and sort of multiculturalism in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're all people of difference, mm-hmm. and we tend to box ourselves up mm-hmm. into certain practices and certain, you know, identities. And, we, and you know, the world does that to mm-hmm. us because we're taught to sort of compete with each other for resources and sort of say, like, this is who I am, this is my background. Not to demean, like, your ancestral roots and all the work you need to do to understand your history and what brought you to this land, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that, you know, one of the parts of this liberation work I'm talking about is is to actually know that, yes, all of this, but you are also beyond you know, all of that. And it's about connecting and collaborating in terms of practice and histories and stories that are integral to creative work. So, And stories do bring us together. Yeah. And I think that they create 
um, the connection for empathy, ideally, mm-hmm. that, that that becomes the goal of how do we not make judgment? Mm-hmm. How do we check when we may have judgment within us? Yeah. Um, and that can be best learned through story. And I think culture and, yes, we all are are have our own unique spark mm-hmm. that that needs to be shared. But I, I'm a big advocate of, of understanding cultures, uh, a big advocate for not letting that stop the journey of learning and, and not labeling or stereotyping or separating or, as you say, competing for resources. Yeah. But how do we create the us and not the us and them? How do we move past the us and them and celebrate um, many cultures creating an us? Um, I'm, I'm thinking of as you're talking, I'm like, there's also a power dynamic involved yes. in like, who is, who are we calling us and them? Mm-hmm. Um, and who is framing the narrative? Right. How is um, sort of the inequities? How are they being acknowledged, mm-hmm. you know, within the experience? So even with this idea, I, I don't want to, like, we are all one, you know, color right, blind right, right, kind right, of right. thing. Because but, that's, cause we're not. Right. Yeah. And, and that so would be, you always that would be insulting. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, like, when we talk about culture, we really need to sort of define what we mean by that in multiple frameworks. So, tell um, me more about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that can be a whole nother And we will. Perhaps we will. But give us a taste of what are the things that you think are important to think about when it comes to culture. I think that culture has multiplicity. Um, I think that it can be used. One of the powers of using that word is because it already has um, an ability to be framed in through multiple ways so like you could be talking about culture from a historical perspective like sort of racial racially or ancestrally you know sociologically mm-hmm. um, you can also talk about culture in terms of sociopolitically like what is the political mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. what is the so like you know I'm thinking about cultural activism as well because mm-hmm. it looks beyond you know sort of the certain boxes of um identifying something from just one point of view. Which can lead to, to the stereotyping and, and lead more boxes it can that, lead of, to, of separation. Yeah, it can lead to not having a more nuanced perspective mm-hmm. about what something is or who something is. So my perspective. Yeah. And mine is similar in that I believe that it's a learning, it's the place to begin. And it mm-hmm. is like um, the ongoing learning. It is uh, lifelong learning. Uh, culture is not something a one and done. Yeah, it's not a static. It, no, and and that the discoveries that you can Constantly make changing. and the discoveries you can make of your own. Oh my gosh, that's an assumption I just made. I do a lot of work with unconscious bias, and I, mm-hmm. I love this one group. After we'd worked with them for a while, they were going, "Oh, my bad, my bias," mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was no longer shame. I think shame gets involved of not mm. doing it right or wrong. Yeah. Right. But how can we first look at our own way that we've made judgments and and. And really drill into them. And, yeah. and I think that's what the vulnerable conversations and the difficult conversations, being willing to be wrong, being willing to bring our stuff and go, ooh, you know, I've made some mistakes in, in the ways I've looked at things. Yeah. Ha- help I me. think that's one of the beautiful mm. things about the Eastside Freedom Library, mm-hmm. too, is that there is space to make mistakes and come at it differently. Because when you are kind of small and sort of already grassroots and working with communities, there are mistakes being made all the time. You can't help and it. And there's not, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah. we're all adapting and learning and, you know, making things better. And it's actually really powerful to see mm-hmm. and to be a part of. 
<laughs> and to see the changes that can be made when we are vulnerable and yeah. when we do admit and when we are truly open to looking at learning together yeah. and, and figuring out what community means yeah. and what does the culture of the Eastside Freedom Library mean. You know, you're developing a culture there as well as celebrating mm -hmm. uh, a multiplicity of cultures. Yeah. So some other things that are happening. Tell me about the Hmong visual art. Yeah, I think that this conversation is really sets the stage very nicely. So um, first, the idea that this was a project that the artists came to us uh, with. Uh, they are two Hmong photographers, uh, Jim Vu and Sai Tao. And uh, they are – they see themselves very much as – uh, part of the second generation of Hmong Americans, and are really wrestling with what is their relationship to the culture that their parents brought with them when they came from refugee camps in Thailand, uh, and what are they creating? How are they really, as as Chitra has used the the term of becoming? You know, how how are they becoming, and how can they use the visual art of photography? as a way to explore that. So they work with a group called In Progress, which is a group of largely second-generation Hmong Americans. Uh, Jim came to us three years ago with a, an analytical project that he was working on as a graduate student at Metro State about what he defined as the problem of nostalgia. Huh. In, in Hmong and Hmong American culture. And my guess is for every immigrant. Oh, of course. Community, you get to a point of... Right. Of... right. I mean, you both need yes. to know the specific, but you can also see the general patterns yeah. in, in what they're struggling with. And, and in their case, um, Jim was very aware of and, and concerned about the ways that uh, the art of making Pandao was being commodified and that consumers, people like you and me, Lori, who who would buy story cloths, Pandao, sure. um, I've got wanted one in, them, in my home. <laughs> of course, and so do I. And and but wanted them to tell a certain kind of story. Uh -huh. You know, are the elephants in it? Are the tigers in it? Um, is this a rural setting? And so how does an art form get frozen in time? Um, and 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 become the artists, static. And become yeah. static while yeah. the artists are also looking for a way to make a living. You know, maybe they can get some income if they're providing the artwork that they think the consumers want to purchase. And so coming out of those issues, uh, Jim and Sai, who are life partners, um, have created this visual art exhibit, which opens tomorrow. Um, at one o'clock Sunday afternoon, at and the runs side. through the rest. It runs of the through the rest oh, of the perfect, month. Perfect, perfect. And there will be a discussion with them and other of their cohort of this Hmong American creative, nuanced, becoming thinking um, for us all to learn from. So go to the Eastside Freedom Library starting tomorrow and to the rest of the month. And if you want more information, again, it's eastsidefreedomlibrary.org, uh, a great exhibit and a great place just to get to know. Uh, we always like to bring a little bit of the Eastside Freedom Library on the air so that audience can get a taste of it. But go do the real thing. It's a great place. And we'll be right back after just a couple of commercials. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. It's been such a joy to have... 
a chance to be talking about the Eastside Freedom Library with my co-host Peter Ratcliffe and their new operations manager, Chitra Viravin. Uh, we've been talking about things that uh, Chitra is going to be doing and her vision and her background, talking about some programs coming up. Um, in this last segment, we want to make sure we hit some more of these programs at the Eastside Freedom Library to get them on your calendar. You can also go to eastsidefreedomlibrary.org, but this is a good chance for us to share a little bit more that you might not see on the website. So first, I want us to talk about the art project that's at the county courthouse. Tell me more about that. Well, I imagine that most of the people listening are pretty well aware that the last couple of years all around the United States, there's been a great deal of debate, discussion, controversy about how we memorialize the past, the monuments to the past. Particularly um, in Virginia, it seems like there's some great Well, debate. I think it's been all over the <laughs> yeah, place. Yeah. And right here in, at home, uh, here in St. Paul... Um, there has been a long discussion, a heated discussion, about the murals in uh, the city council chambers in the building that is peculiarly shared ownership by the city of St. Paul and by Ramsey County. And these are murals that were painted when the building was constructed in the early 1930s. Mm-hmm. And there are people in our Native American community, African-American community, and critical thinking white folks um, who have questioned the ways that people of color are represented in these murals. And after quite a— Which gets back to the power dynamic that we talked about in in the last segment. Who gets to tell somebody else's story and And how how they they tell it? Yeah. Yeah. And and so um, and there have been both Native American and African American people who have said that they have found it difficult to sit in the city council chambers, having come in for some issue of importance to them, and to see graphically depicted on the wall behind the city council um, scenes and images that make them feel victimized and uncomfortable and and, and misrepresented portrayed in ways that are not. Representative. Yeah. Are these murals actually in the wall itself? Yes. So yes. it's not something that you can just easily take down. No. It, 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 no. It's embedded. No. But but part of these debates, and I'm a historian and, and very attuned to the way these debates have unfolded, um, have been questions about, you know, just covering them over mm-hmm. or, um, or, or creating new art that engages mm-hmm. uh, those murals. And I'm very pleased that the Ramsey County Historical Society that was given the task of figuring out a process uh, came up with the idea that, and the resources, that they would commission four new works of art that engage the existing murals. And I so know leaving the murals. Leaving the murals For up, historical whatever. Right. And to say, whoa, in the early 1930s. This is what people This thought. is what people were thinking. And, uh-huh. and it doesn't help us to erase or ignore that that was the situation. Because then we can forget, Right, right. So um, we are going to hear from the artists, and the Ramsey County Historical Society and the artists will be at the Eastside Freedom Library on the 16th of December at 7 in the evening, and they want to hear from community members about what they would like to see represented in the new art 
uh, that's going to be created. Cool. And I'm so just these, so these are artists, that, but they have not necessarily created the piece yet. Oh no, right? They're, they're they, in that right. that early stage right. of what should we question and right. what should be part. How oh, cool right. is that that you could actually right. have that's input awesome. into art? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, what does democracy mean? You know, this yeah. this is a pretty good exercise Cause in it, democracy. Ideally, this might be with us another 100 years. Right. Just as this has been with us almost 100 years. Right. Absolutely. And who knows in 100 years, maybe they would be questioned as well. Right. And, and hopefully they will. Yeah. Yeah. Because culture is not static. Uh, Which exactly, we also. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But a lot of visual art has community-based practices. So mm-hmm. I think this is in line with having those commissioned artists engaging yeah. with community again and really yeah. rethinking and yeah. having multiple input you know, into what they're creating. Yeah. So you know, please, if you're listening, come on down and, and join in that conversation. And what date is that again? That's on the 16th. Okay. Uh, Monday evening, the 16th of December. And in the weekend just before that, um, I want to encourage people to come and see a remarkable uh, playwright and performer, uh, Antonio Duke, uh, who has created a solo performance piece called Missing Mississippi Moons. Will it be the whole piece? or? Oh, or, yeah. Oh, it's okay. the whole Not piece. Not just excerpts oh, of no, discussion. No. Okay. Right. And, and Antonio was in the library almost a year ago. Um, with the Black Ensemble players who presented an, an absolutely stunning adaptation of Shakespeare's and an all-black performance of Shakespeare's that, yeah. A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yep. And he had such a good time that he wanted to come back and work in the space again, uh, this time with his solo piece. And so that'll be Friday night the 13th, Saturday night the 14th, and Sunday afternoon the 15th. And um, people could go to the eastsidefreedomlibrary.org to get the specific times. Uh, yes, to get the specific times. So we're, we're excited to have Antonio coming back. I remember last year us talking about, uh, mm-hmm. and I believe we had him as a guest or he called uh-huh. in. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. Terrific. Yep. Great, great yep. guy. And, and then on a slightly more library academic kind of uh, front – Though I'm sure it won't unfold that way. We're having a book discussion uh, with Chris Lehman about his new book, Slavery's Reach, um, which is a book about the power and influence of slaveholders in Minnesota. They did not own other human beings in the state of Minnesota. But they came here with their money and resources. That benefited from. That benefited from slavery and that um, positioned them to have an influence. Um, It's sort of part of the answer to how come that lake in Minneapolis was called (laughs) Lake Calhoun? Um, And and we're going to find out why some of the streets around the Eastside Freedom Library are called Magnolia and Hyacinth. So come and find so out. Come and find out. We uh, and happy new year. We're going to be celebrating right. the Eastside Freedom Library next January. So come listen to us and come to the programs. It was so stressful. Oh, was it? Oh, was it? Oh, I try to make it as easy 